Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, everyone looks fantastic. Uh, you look thinner. Uh, good job. Good job. That's what a that's what a fast will do for you, right? Uh, get close to God, lose weight. It's a it's a good combo. Glad to see all of you here this morning, and I know that the fast is not is never easy, and uh, but uh, the intimacy with God, the, the product of it is incredible. We've been praying about a lot of things. So if you're part of our WhatsApp chatter and you're getting updates, uh, you see. Uh, on a very specific day, what we're praying for together. And uh, we've already been praying for, for marriages. Have you seen that already? Uh, marriages are, uh, are something that we need to pray about, we need to focus on, and we need to work on. Uh, it is a constant issue in the reality of our life, and we really need to bring our marriages to God and uh, have God speak into it in a, in a very special way. I had the privilege uh, several years ago of performing a wedding uh, for a friend of mine uh, the wedding was near Cape Town on a farm. And this farm was a rose farm, rosebush farm. And so this farm was covered in just beautiful rows and rows of, of roses of all different colors. And uh, the wedding itself was sort of on a, on a little kopi that overlooked, uh, didn't overlook, but looked up. As you looked up, the, you saw this flowing uh, uh, rose gardens that went up the side of the mountain and then uh, there was this picture of this beautiful mountain on top of all that with the sun perfectly the sun was setting and it was just an absolute it was absolutely beautiful and we were all dressed nicely of course and and then the uh, uh, the violins started playing there was a there was a uh, there were four violins there and they were playing as people were coming in and being seated and it was just absolutely this amazing surreal moment uh, of beauty. The weather was perfect. Uh, the scenery was beautiful. Everyone was happy to be there. People are always, for the most part, happy to be at weddings. I mean, there's a few odd, odd people who are there only because they feel like they have to, but for the most part, it's a joyous, celebratory occasion. It's, it's beautiful. And as I stood there with all of these, all of these uh, beautiful flowers and, and the beautiful mountain, the beautiful music, and everyone dressed so beautifully coming in and having a seat, I was overwhelmed by just this picture of marriage, realize that that life, that our, our population, the world, still loves weddings, and uh, it's it's been part of our history, and our generations of people have celebrated this this thing we call marriage. In the last fifty years or so, we, we've we've done something unprecedented in society. However, uh, we've managed for the first time in history to transform marriage, the most basic and universal of human institutions, into something controversial. It's amazing that we've been able to do that. For the first time in marriage, for the first time in history, is under a sustained and surprisingly successful attack. Uh, marriage in, in all phases of society is, is, is part of jokes, it's part of controversy, it's part of anger, it's, a, it's part of life that we live in today. I. I watched a comedian recently talk about marriage in this way. <laughs> Everyone knew he was talking about marriage, and so he introduced his, his joke with Adolf Hitler. And he said, you know, Adolf Hitler was this uh, horrible, horrible man, uh, but very confident, uh, no lack of confidence, uh, attacked the world. Uh, uh, not, not a very tall man, but a very confident man. And for years, 
uh, attack the world with great confidence, uh, pushing and directing, you know, engineering forces in the ind industrial world and uh, had, was not afraid of anyone. But then in April 30th of 1945, married Eva Braun. And the next day killed himself. The, the comedian said this, he said, uh, what did she say to him? <laughs> Apparently they were in a bunker, and uh, of course he went on to say, did she look at him and say, you call this a bunker? <laughs> My brother has a bunker much bigger than this, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but marriage is like that for us, and uh, you'll never speak to anyone uh, that doesn't have some... Yes, I'm glad to be married, but there's a side joke of, but however, you should know what it's like to be married. It's just, it's, it's, part, of our, it's part of our world. Unfortunately, it's, it's part of our reality. Paul uh, addressed this very important issue in the New Testament. We see this uh, encouragement and direction on how to not just be married, but actually to stay married and, and why we stay married, why we get married. There's a very much a, a God perspective on marriage. And today, uh, my goal this my goal today is to is to give you God's perspective, which I feel like is God's perspective on marriage. To help you with God's perspective on marriage, <clears throat> this is, feels like a really bad relationship right now. <laughs> uh, God's perspective on marriage, and then I'm going to give you a tip with three subpoints. On we can't cover every tip for marriage today, and then we want to finish off our day today. Uh, about talking about how we can specifically address the issue of marriage uh, in our prayer life and how we operate and function when we deal with this issue of marriage when we talk to each other uh, and how we operate in society related to marriage. So let me begin. Let's, let's God's perspective. Paul was writing in the letter of the book of Ephesians, so to the Ephesians, about marriage. And he was writing to different people living in Ephesus, uh, Greeks, Romans, and of course, Jews. Now, uh, to the Greeks, the Greeks actually had a perspective of marriage that was interesting. Uh, they married to have someone to take care of their children. So a man would marry a woman to find a woman who would manage his affairs and take care of his children. Uh, for friendship and for physical pleasure, he had other women. This was the Greek culture. Socrates said this, Is there anyone to whom you entrust more serious matters than your wife? And is there anyone to whom you talk less? So, the, you know, the Greeks were known for all forms of, of sexual immorality. The Roman culture was set up for both men and women to divorce each other. As a matter of fact, very similar to our society today, right? Seneca, the Roman Stoic philosopher, said this, women dated the years of their life by the names of their husbands. Wow. The Jews, on the other hand, uh, had a different setup. They married for many different reasons. But in Jewish culture, men could very easily divorce their wives, but women could not divorce their husbands very easily. For the smallest reason, a man could go and divorce his wife, but it took, it took a lot for a woman to be able to divorce her husband. Paul is writing to people who did not hold marriage sacred. Let me repeat that. This is it's writing to a group of people very much like us today who did not value marriage. Or marriage for us, for, for them and for us, is this con controversy. That's the kind of people he was writing to. We often think that today's situation is new. 
that today we're in this new world of adultery, divorce, homosexuality, all these things. This is not a new, these are not new concepts. And so Paul was addressing two real issues that we experience today, but addressing those issues in that culture of that day. Paul gives us how things should be, not how they were living, all right? Basically, he's giving us the picture of what should be, not exactly what was happening with everyone. Today, really, this is for the married and the unmarried, all right? I realize that for many of you, you have your own personal experiences. Whether you're single or married, whether you've been married or are now currently single, uh, you've all seen marriages that you like and some that you don't. You've had good experiences, maybe. You've had bad experiences. That's what's all in the room here today. And that's the reality of our world and it's the reality of our life. The picture of marriage, though, that, that God's picture of marriage is this picture, this beautiful picture of Jesus and the church. I want us to look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 21 verse, and, and through 33, verses 21 through 33. I'm going to read this together with you. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let me just pause here. Whenever I do weddings, I, I, ask, I show them this passage as a bridge to have to start a conversation of what, what passages of Scripture do you want in your marriage? And very often when, when the, the husband, well, the, the, the bride and, and husband-to-be read this passage, they go, can you leave this one out? Uh, wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. Woo. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as, say it with me, their own bodies. Ooh. Pause. Think of that, men. as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his what? Of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. Usually when I'm doing a a wedding, and I say this, read this, I say some marriages are more mysterious than others. But marriage is a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul says that marriage is a mystery. Why? Because, he says this, for this reason, in verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his wife, uh, <laughs> his father and mother, shall not leave his wife, but I, <laughs> and the two will become one flesh. Marriage is compared to Jesus and the church. That's why marriage is mysterious. And that's why marriage is important. That's why marriage is something we should focus on and study and understand and fight for. Is because marriage really is the universal symbol of Jesus and the church. This is why marriage is something that all of us, regardless of our marital status, need to be serious about, right? I mean, this is something we need to focus on. The last part of Ephesians 3 is really just a quote of Genesis 2, 21 through 25. I'll put that up for you. So the Lord 
uh, God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. So this picture of creation moves on, and then he says, for this reason, verse 24 of Genesis 2, for this reason a man will do what? Will leave his father and mother and he and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. After this, of course, there was the, you know, the tree, the violation, and then they were embarrassed at what they looked like, and all everything went nuts. So all of a sudden, the nature of man became evil, uh, and we needed a savior. This is the situation we live in now. And so our marriages, none of our marriages are perfect because we live in a fallen world. But all of us need to fight for marriage because of the ideal of Christ. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he who has no one to help him up Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the idea of two working in competition against each other, in, uh, working together instead of in competition with each other. They work better. A partnership strengthened by the mighty companionship of God is, is, is obviously not easily destroyed. Marriage is, of course, more than a physical union. Marriage is such a beautiful picture of God's church. That's, that's the idea. The universal symbol of God's love for us is this picture of marriage. Uh, let me take this one step further for you to understand how important this is. You know, if, if you're part of a church, you've probably experienced uh, the Lord's Supper. Have you taken communion together? Most of us understand that we do this to show the the death of the crucifixion and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and what God did for us. We do this symbolically to represent uh, Christ. We get baptized uh, as well uh, by immersion so that we show that we were buried with Christ and then we were raised with him to new life. We have all these things we do as part of the church to represent the beautiful love of Christ for us and salvation that he offers. Marriage is also one of those incredible symbols of this picture of Christ loving us, giving his life for us. And, and, and therefore, marriage is important. Marriage is part of, of what God designed from day one for all of us to see, hopefully be part of ourselves, but to see, but to support and fight for. And it's in marriages between a man and a woman. There's so many added benefits uh, for being married. People have written books about this. Uh, University of Chicago professor Linda J. Waite in her book, The Case for Marriage, writes that there's all kinds of great great benefits of marriage as opposed to cohabitating together. She says this, this is based on research. There's less domestic violence. There's longer lifespans, healthier children from those unions, increased earning capacity, improved wealth accumulation, decreased likelihood of relationship cheating, mentally healthier, happier, stronger parent-child bonds, and a more fulfilling sex life. Uh, a lot of people don't know that little secret. But that's what marriage is. It's, it's, it's incredible in, in so, so many ways. Uh, my, my neighbor, when he was building his house, um, dug foundations and then poured one solid foundation across the, his whole house. Uh, it was reinforced with steel. It's just one. So basically that house is built on a solid rock. And I've been through his house, and there is not a single crack in any of his walls. In, in Vinta, can you imagine? Not a single crack in 
any wall. Amazing. I love his house. My house is different. <laughs> my, my marriage is great, but our house <laughs> is full of cracks. Absolutely full of cracks. Because when they built our house, they dug the foundation, and then they poured little rows of, of, of foundations. They would pour for a while, and the next day they'd come back and keep pouring it. And then they sort of built, poured all the foundations. And then they built the walls. Then they put the roof on. And then later they came in with wheelbarrows and not the greatest cement and poured floors in all of our houses. So at every place where the, where the floor meets the wall, there's a crack. That's every room of my house. And so we have a lot of visitors. Ants, insects come. They visit us through the cracks. It's really a special deal. But my house was put together piecemeal instead of laid on a solid foundation. And so I had continued to have problems with my house. Many of you live in these kinds of houses. This is kind of the building code. Relationships that, relationships that try parts of marriage out before, before they marry uh, will always have problems. So they, they kind of piecemeal their, their relationships together like my house was built. And then they always have issues. The, the, the philosophy is this, and you are all familiar with these philosophies. They're, they're all over the world. So let's try out sex. Let's see how good we are with this, and then maybe after sex we'll see if we can get married. Uh, let's try out living together, uh, which is, of course, what we expect married people to do. But let's try it out. Let's see how we get along. Do you know that 99% of people who live together divorce after they get married? 99%. Those are actual figures from research. Amazing. I heard one person tell me, I said, why would you get married then if you're going to get divorced? Just keep living together. That seems to work. Well, about 100% of those people who live together don't make it. About 100%. Let's try buying things together. And this is kind of our society. We try parts of marriage out before we actually get married. This is the society we live in. And then we wonder why after we get married, we have trouble. Because we set up patterns before that are not, that are not solid. They're shaky foundations, and so marriage is shaky once they actually decide to take that next step. All right, enough. Let me give you a tip. <laughs> Let me give you a tip. We know, see God's perspective, man and a woman, they get married. That's God's plan, to represent the beauty of God's love for us, the church. And he actually calls the church his bride, and that he's the husband. This is the picture. This is what we're striving for. Not that we always hit it, but that's our goal. That's what we're trying to do. Let me give you a tip today based on one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Philippians 2. If I could summarize like the best secret of marriage, uh, I would say this is probably the best verse. I would start here. If I'm doing any counseling, premarital counseling with anyone, this is the verse I would start with. Okay, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. If you want to say this with me this morning, please feel free. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, right? For whatever reason, culturally now, when we get married, we believe that once we get married, it's all about ourselves. And that finally, we've found someone who's going to devote their, all of their attention to me. And those of us who are married know this story. 
And those of us who are married know that if, if that was our posture, that we believe that whoever we marry is supposed to take care of us, we know from experience this did not go well. We were on this, on this path thinking, man, this beautiful woman I've married, whoo, man, she's here to take care of me in every single way. That, that car crashed. That car crashed. And women, if you're expecting this man to come in and sweep in and just save the day like a knight in shining armor and doing all these incredible things for you. Matter of fact, your perspective of this man is almost godlike. Let me assure you that no man or woman is godlike. Our expectation is that somehow in marriage that man's character would change. No. We get married understanding that we chase after the God of perfect character. That's what makes marriage work. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So if you're in the room this morning and, and I've done your wedding, you've probably heard this passage, all right? I'm looking at one right here who has heard this before. Uh, and maybe some others you've heard this before. And, and I know if you've been married long enough, you know this is true. Marriage works if you serve each other and you stop thinking about yourself and give. It's a constant battle for us as married people to continue to fight ourselves, right? To fight the pride that we carry with us so easily. To fight how much we love ourselves. That's why Jesus said, love each other like you love yourself. <laughs> because loving yourself is a guarantee. I hear these preachers sometimes talk about, if you could just love yourself more, you could understand loving God. Ah, no, no, we love ourselves. <laughs> That's not the problem. That is the problem. We need to love God. We need to understand what it means to actually increase our love and attention to him. And then we can love others more effectively, better. Weddings are meant to be personal. Uh, I always like for weddings to be very personal. I like for weddings to be funny. Uh, there needs to be joy and celebration. But there needs to be the spiritual component of, of a wedding. Every time I do a wedding, there needs to be this spiritual component. And, and so I always, what I'm sharing with you right now is what I share if I'm doing Philippians 2, because Philippians 2 actually was, wasn't really designed initially to be for weddings. Uh, uh, Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, and he's in prison when he's writing it. So we should clarify this as we keep going, that <laughs> uh, and he was put to death soon thereafter. So marriage is not a prison sentence or a death sentence. I just want to get that out there uh, as we look at Philippians 2, all right? Philippians inspires us. And I want you to look at Philippians 2, 1 and 2. This is how Paul prefaces this, this, this sentence of don't be selfish. He says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from His love? Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And of course, the answer to that question, those four questions is what? There is such great encouragement for belonging to Christ, right? There's amazing encouragement for belonging to Christ. There is great comfort from His love. There is great fellowship together in the Spirit. And our hearts are tender and compassionate because of what God has done in us. Paul then says, if this is true, then make me happy, truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. If all this is true, that there is this encouragement for belonging to Christ, there's the comfort from His love, there's all this fellowship in the Spirit, our hearts tender and compassionate, well then, Get along, serve each other. 
If your salvation is a fact, you've been transformed by Jesus, then humble yourself, serve each other, and discover a, a, a sweet relationship maybe that you've never been part of before in your entire life. Christ, because Christ, because Christ in the church is the picture of marriage. So we follow his lead in how we operate together in marriage. We humble ourselves before him. We take on his character. We serve each other. This is, this is the secret. Paul says that, look, have the same attitude of Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above other names, that all at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the rest of Philippians 2. So here's the beginning of my tip. Is everybody with me? This is the beginning of the marriage tip. Fact, Jesus lowered himself, right? Jesus lowered himself. How low did he go? He lowered himself lower than what he deserved to be treated. Jesus, who's equal to God, did not hang on to the reality of, of his divinity. And yet he lowered himself below what he was fair and what was deserved. He was being treated horribly, unfairly, undeserved. But Jesus humbled himself. He chose. He put himself there. If you read scripture, you see that he allowed himself to be put on the cross. He humbled himself below what he deserved to be treated. This is the picture for us men and women of how we operate in marriage is that our expectation is that we would lower ourselves lower than what we, how we deserve to be treated. Our expectation of our spouse is that, is that we would humble ourselves. We would not expect them to treat us as we deserve. Are you with me? See how this works? We're not coming into marriage saying, you know, you don't treat me like I deserve. Humility says, that's okay. I'm humbling myself and not expecting you to treat me better. I'm expecting you to treat me in a way that I don't deserve. And if you go into marriage like that and you just still love each other and humble yourself with that attitude, you will go far. You will go far. But our pride craves the praise of man, right? Pride craves the praise of man. Pride Pride craves that we would be respected. Men especially, we crave respect. Where, where women very often crave love, we crave respect. It's an interesting dynamic of how we're designed. God calls us to demonstrate the love of Christ in our marriage. To expect less than what we deserve and serve our spouse. That is God's call in our life. So the trick is servanthood, all right? I'm going to give you three, three tricks to the one tip, servanthood. Humble yourself. Tip number one. <laughs> if pride is the absence of love, then humility is what? The presence of love. Let me say that again. If pride is the absence of love, pride is loveless. It thinks only of itself. 
pride is the absence of love, then humility is the presence of love. Amen, church? <laughs> so practice love and discover humility. This is how it works. We practice love so that the humility will be established. We're going to approach this. This is my tip for you. Approach humility by loving, by serving. Uh, so here's the tip one, tip one, oh, sorry, trick one under my main tip, servanthood. Servanthood is the key. Humility, right? You with me, everybody? This is, this is important stuff, people. All right. Trick number one, the ministry of the mundane. All right. God calls us to do things that are not noteworthy. The service, the, the cleaning of, of nonsense, uh, or the, the ministry of the, uh, I think in Afrikaans you would say, Aradaxa. How do you pronounce that in Afrikaans? Yeah. Aradak. Someone say it for me who speaks Afrikaans first. Bayadanki Mifro. Bayadanki Or the ministry of the banal, right? Another Afrikaans word, right? The mundane. I think in German it's uh, the ministry of the Altiglish. Whew. That's a fun word. Give yourself to those who cannot give you status. Serve people who cannot promote you. Commit to the ministry of the mundane. Find ways to serve each other without getting recognition. Clean the house. Clean the dishes. Take out the trash. Clean the shower. That's my favorite. Oh. Take out the trash. I hate taking out the trash. Ministry of the mundane. That's actually why very often in my ministry life, uh, I work with children and youth. Uh, because children, youth, sometimes come tell us, thank you for helping me. But most of the time, when you're working with them at the time, they don't think to say, hey, thank you for loving us this way. Uh, it's usually later. Uh, the other day, just a couple of days ago, we were here in YWAP and one of our YWAPers, uh, this is the, the, the honest truth. She came to me and she stood like this, sideways and looked at me like this. She said, uh, Brian, you growing a beard again? And I said, yeah. She said, it doesn't suit you. <laughs> and she walked off. That was her version of, hey, Brian, good to see you. No, no, no. You growing a beard again? Oof. That doesn't suit you. I had a kid come to Wyoke one time and I had my hands crossed like this and he, he came up to me and he, he grabbed my arms, didn't look at me, and he, but he looked at my watch, pulled my watch over and looked at it like this and he said, you call that a watch? He said, my dad has a much nicer watch than you do. And then he walked off. That was, hello, Brian, good to see you. Children are great to work with because they tell you the truth. They tell you the truth. Commit your life to the ministry of the mundane. If you're newly married and you have, if you've pulled into yourself to take care of each other, you've isolated from the world to work on your marriage, I, it's probably not a good idea because now you're just thinking about yourself. You need to turn your attention away from this, oh, got to work on us, got to work on us. No, 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 got to keep serving the world. That's how you figure out who you are. You serve. That's what grows your marriage. The ministry of the mundane. Serve the community, minister to children, caring for children. That's the tip number two, trick number two. As a couple, serve the community. 
Work together and serve the world. Love. Start developing these habits in your marriage of, of, of loving you know, people outside of the two of you. And your marriage will grow by leaps and bounds. The best thing for my marriage is that Dan and I serve God together. It, it, it just it puts this spice in our marriage. And we come home with funny stories and we feel better because we've been loving the community. Therefore, we love each other better. It's, it's an incredible thing. As a couple serves in the community, they can elevate. They can, they can be elevated. Their marriage can be elevated. So trick number one, ministry of the mundane, right? Invest yourself in things that will not give you praise, that will not promote you. Trick number two, serve the community, all right, in ways that cannot elevate you. And then trick number three. You ready for this one? If you don't mind, if your hands are clean, take your fingers, index, and your thumb and grab your tongue. I dare you. Grab your tongue. All right? I see a lot of hands are not clean here this morning. Grab your tongue. Right. Reach out and grab your tongue. This is the ministry of holding your tongue. Thank you. You can let go of your tongue. Now. All right? That's trick number three. Sometimes you should be quiet. Sometimes you don't need to speak at all. You need to listen. Amen, church. The brother of Jesus said this. He said, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion is worthless. Oof. There is no, nothing more attractive to a woman than a quiet handsome man. We love to be listened to, right? When's the last time you listened to someone else's life story? Think about it. When's the last time? Have you ever met a couple where one speaks and the other one is quiet? Have you met those people? Like if you introduced to a couple and then one just talks, 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 you'd have no idea anything about the other person because only one person in the couple is talking. But if you're able to get that person who's quiet in the marriage aside by himself or herself, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to gender typecast you. <laughs> They'll tell you their whole story if you can just get them alone. Do you find that in groups you always have to have your idea taken? Do you leave the conversations not knowing a thing about the other person? Does that happen to you? Or you meet someone you really enjoy, but you know nothing about him after you get home? You just met him? Why? Because you told him or her your story, and you have no clue about their story, because you talk, they, and they listen. Charming people never talk about themselves. Charming people are charming because they listen to others. That's what makes people charming. Tell me about your life. Oh, yes. Oh, he's so charming. He listened to everything I had to say. And then finally, trick, uh, this is the slash trick. This is a four bonus trick here. Um, the, this is the ministry of bearing one another's burdens. Uh, that is to have grace and forgiveness when you see the weaknesses of your spouse. And you will. You will see weaknesses in your spouse. Don't think for a moment you're not going to see weaknesses because you're sharing everything. You're sharing the bedroom. You're sharing the bathroom. Oh, my goodness. But you're going to see weaknesses 
in your spouse on all these different levels. You might even be surprised of how hard your spouse will fall or how weak your spouse is. You'll see them at every level. You'll have days in marriage, I promise you, when you're going to look at that person and wonder, what was I thinking? I promise you that day will come. And then you'll go, well, she could say the same thing, right? And God then begins to work on you to realize, okay, I need to serve this person. Love, love loves them when they're not beautiful. Love loves when they're not handsome. Love loves when they're being jerks. You, you love. You love. We're invited to be Christ to our spouses. We're to humble ourselves and to not expect what we deserve, to expect less and serve. Just love. It's incredible, though, when you're able to look at your spouse when they've really blown it and just love them in spite of that moment. Something incredible happens in your marriage. All of a sudden, you, your love multiplies. It's an extraordinary thing. And the person receiving your love is transformed, realizing what? You mean he, this person accepts me when I'm like this? Oh, I've never been loved like this before. It just increases, multiplies your love. If you're able to serve each other whenever you have these horrible moments when you fall, and you will fall. No one is perfect, but you commit to yourself to each other. So commit yourself to the mundane, the ministry of the altiglish. Hold your tongue and bear one another's burdens. In other words, have the same attitude that Christ has, who humbled himself, took the form of a man, and was crucified for you and me. That's our model. That's our model. Our temptation this morning and the rest of your life will be to follow the models that we see in our world today. There's a lot of pictures and metaphors of marriage that are promoted today in our society that are not Christ. You know, reasons to be selfish, reasons to puff up ourselves in, in that relationship. The picture of marriage is Christ who humbled himself and placed himself by choice in a position to be treated less than he deserved. Oh, wow. And he just loved us. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're a child of God, you know what I'm talking about. God loved you when you did not deserve it. And I'm a child of God, not because I deserve to be, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. Marriage is that same picture. We love each other in this way. And we fight for marriage because it truly is this picture of God's love for the church. So what do we need to do? Step one, I'm going to ask you as a church to begin to change the way you see marriage. All right? To have God's perspective on marriage. To shoot there. To shoot for that goal. And for many of you, you might think, well, that's pretty lofty. I'm going to work on plan B, not plan A. But in the words of Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> never work for plan B. Always work on plan A. I can't do it. It's a terrible accent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, whose marriage fell apart because he had an affair, but he did believe in only working for plan A. Plan A. He said, I never invested energy in plan B, only in plan A, and therefore I achieved my goals. I didn't have a safety net, which was plan B. If you're approaching marriage from this perspective, if there's always a way out, that's plan B, and you're investing in that, not in God's perspective and fighting for plan A. I invite you as a church to focus on God's view, which for many of us seems lofty, but God's view of marriage and focus there. So first of all, change the way you think. I encourage you as a church to look, look at scripture, chase scripture to see what God's perspective is here. Ephesians 5 is where you can start. Ephesians 5, 21 through following, then follow that up with Philippians 2. Don't be selfish, humble yourself. Don't try to impress others. That's the picture of Philippians 2. That's the picture of marriage. So change your perspective. And then I want to invite us as a church during this, especially this month of fasting, for us to continue to pray for marriage. Uh, you know, if you've been hurt uh, in your marriage, then begin to pray and ask God for healing. Jesus can give you the right perspective of your situation. And, and God promises he, he weeps with those who weep. I mean, I know some of you have been in situations where your marriage is causing you to grieve in deep, deep ways. You've been hurt terribly. Go to God and say, God, give me your perspective. Lord, heal me. Work with me. Please, Lord, walk with me in this pain that I'm experiencing. God acknowledges that although there's this, this view of marriage, which is his view, the acknowledgement is that it doesn't always work like that. And we as the church love you regardless of, of your situation in marriage because Christ loves you. God loves us and works with us in our hurt, in our sorrow, in our loss, and walks with us. He still points to this picture of what marriage should be, but he walks with us in our suffering and our hurting when it hasn't gone right for us. Oh, that's the love of Christ. That's the love of Christ. We need to pray that marriages would demonstrate the love of Jesus for the church. We need to pray very specifically for our marriages that we, that our marriages show this love of Jesus, that they demonstrate the picture of Christ and his church. Pray for that for us. Pray for that for me in my marriage. Pray for that for each other if you're, if you're married. If you're single today, pray for marriages anyway and fight for marriages. I invite you as a church to change the way you think about marriage, but also change your posture. Defend marriage. Fight for marriage God's way. Speak about it. Be open about this is what marriage should be. Church, we need to protect this thing that God has put together. It's his institution, not something that we've created. It's God's plan. And then we need to commit to serve each other in this, to walk with each other in good and bad times in marriage. We need to, to love those who are struggling. We need to love those who are celebrating marriage. We need to walk with them and support and fight for this institution of marriage. Let's pray. And this is the last area that I really want us to focus on in prayer, and that is God help us to, to see how we are selfish. This is a tough prayer. <laughs> God, reveal to me how I'm selfish. Show me the areas of my life where I'm only thinking of me, where I'm selfish. God, expose that in my life. Lord, change my heart so that I can have your view of marriage, so that I can serve my spouse in the way you asked me to serve. So let's pray those very specifically for each other. And let's, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you, God. We ask God truly that you would protect your institution of marriage. God, you would protect marriages in this church. 
Lord, where marriages have, have not gone well, Lord, we ask for healing, Lord, and just, Lord, please comfort those who are hurting. And Lord Jesus, we commit as a church, Father, to, to fight for this, this picture of your love for the church. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your grace. Oh, God, we thank you for your love. And Lord, help us to be like you. Help us to humble ourselves in marriage. And Lord, as we give advice to other marriages, Lord, may we give that advice. Not to fight for themselves, but to, be, to humble themselves to their spouse. But we ask God that you would help us understand the God narrative of marriage and to fight for it. Lord, expose our selfishness, Father. Gently, we ask God. Gently expose the areas of our life where we're being selfish. Reveal to us our pride. Lord, that we can be better in our marriages. Lord, that we can demonstrate the humility that comes from you. And Lord, protect marriage, Father. Protect our marriages. Lord, we love you and we praise you, God. In your name I pray. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.